Today's scripture reading is taken from Acts chapter 19, verse from 11 to 22. Acts chapter 19, the verse from 11 to 22. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin, were carried away to the sick. And their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then someone of the itinerant Jewish exorcist undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of the Jewish high priest named Skeber were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit to leap on them, mastered all of them, and they overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And the fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic art brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Now after these events, Paul resolved in the split to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. This is God's word. Thank you, brother, for reading God's word for us this morning. Uh, before we enter into the text this morning, I'd uh, like to um, say a personal word. It's not a part of the message. I'm actually, I guess calling an EGM. Looks like we have a quorum. I just need to say this. This week, you have shown me who you really are. And you are amazing. You have served so selflessly. You have loved so well. Many of you were staying here at the building late into the night, arriving early the next morning. I love the fact that even on the very day 
of Dr. P's cremation. Many of you arrived there early and went into a hall, packed it out to love on Pauline Wang. You are glorious. I've never before said this, but it is privilege not to pastor, but to be a part. It's a good place to serve. And it's a good place to die. Not that I'm making plans. <laughs> All right, let's open up God's Word uh, together. I hope you are still in um, Acts chapter 19. As you know, we have been going through a series. Uh, it's called Not Ashamed of the Gospel. I may not be on. So... We're going to do this without a uh, keynote because it doesn't appear to be. I've learned uh, something. I need to discover another language, sign language. <laughs> oh, what? There it is. <laughs> okay, how about that? Not ashamed of the gospel. We have been walking through Acts and... Uh, Today I want to look at this subject. It's obviously a question. Uh, and it's intensely personal for me, I'll just be honest. And I was reading an article about social isolation, particularly in urban cities, and the level of unhappiness that's being created when people realize I'm around a crowd of people and yet nobody really knows me. And it's created this uptick, this great surge in what scientists are calling diseases of despair. And Facebook has made it worse. In a scientific study just published by Harvard and University of British Columbia this past week, it's discovered that people in socialization are even unhappier with Facebook because they look at how many friends they have and then they look at how many friends their friends have and they feel like they're practically friendless. As if Facebook friends really are a thing. Uh, by the way, I met a Facebook friend for the first time at Dr. P's wake. We've been friends for three years. Never met him until Friday. Uh, the odd thing though is when you are a missionary, you have a completely different tension that you live with. In fact, you may have heard me say this before, until Sherry and I moved to Singapore, we had never before had a visa, let me say it online, a religious worker's visa to live in a country. For 21 years, we were tourists. Yes, we had that much money. <laughs> we were having to travel in and out because we were living and serving in places that did not allow Christian missionary activity. And we lived with this constant tension. I remember at one point, we were the first meeting we had with our team, I'm going to say it, inside a big Chinese country north of us, <laughs> we were having dinner together and nobody wanted to be known. So one of them said, so who's going to do the PR? And I was thinking, PR? We're doing PR? We're, we're doing promotion here? PR was code for prayer. As, as if the secret police can't figure that out. And, and then one of them said, okay, I'll PR. 
And he began to PR by looking around the restaurant, talking, thank you, Jesus, for this food that we're going to eat. We didn't want anybody to know who we are. And, and that's the way Sherry and I functioned. We, we lived within that tension. We, we were coached by our mission office. I'm going to tell people you're a consultant, go one, which, you know, that's broad, right? You can consult in a lot of areas. Tell them you're a teacher. I mean, you could teach lots of subjects, but don't say you're a missionary because that will get you kicked out. At that point in time, all we wanted to do was stay where we felt called to minister to whom we felt called to. So we actually didn't want anybody to know who we were. And it didn't even occur to me that I was the only man in our neighborhood who wasn't going to work every day. And that people wouldn't begin to wonder, hmm, how much money does this white guy really have living in this estate all these years, traveling all the time, never actually goes to work? It never occurred to me until one day, across the Taman, a neighbor who happened to be of another religious faith, he was a Muslim, he shouted at me across the Taman, Hello, Pastor! <laughs> mm. That... That's when I realized that if people don't know what we're doing, either they're just not paying attention or I am doing nothing in service of the kingdom of Christ. So the question that we need to ask ourselves as we enter into the text this morning is, does anybody really know who we are? Does anyone know we exist? And, and I want us to look at this ministry specifically, this ministry of the missionary Paul. When, when he came, when, you know, when he exhibited the fruit of the Spirit, it, it wasn't a banana, it wasn't an orange, it wasn't some apple. He was a durian. Everyone knew he was in the room. <laughs> right. I'm pretty sure that's what he was thinking of. I, I, I want to suggest, though, that people ought to know who we are. And, and even more, the evil one ought to know who we are at GBC. I, I want us to see how this happened in the life of this missionary named Paul. So first, it begins this way. Paul knew Jesus. Now you remember back in Acts 7, we're first introduced to this young man. At that time, he wasn't called Paul. His name was Saul. He was a Roman citizen. That means he, he knew the, the political and judicial systems of his day. He was also a Jewish Pharisee, which meant that he had knowledge of religious systems. He knew how to leverage them in a way that afforded him extraordinary social status. But he was also a religious fanatic. He had in his heart and his mind, his one ambition was to exterminate this new Jewish cult called followers of the way. But then, if you recall, in Acts 9, this Roman citizen, this Pharisee, this fanatic had an encounter with Jesus Christ that changed his mind, that transformed his heart, that redirected his passions. He got a new occupation. He was even given a new name. 
Paul, actually, little Paul, the little one. We see how this changed his life in Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. He says, indeed, I count everything, all that stuff I mentioned before, I count it all as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing what? Jesus. I count it all loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Suddenly, everything was reordered in this man's life. It did not always happen this way. You remember in Matthew chapter 19, another wealthy, influential young man met Jesus. And he said to Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, sell everything you have, give it to the poor. He was not transformed in heart and mind. He was grieved because, Scripture says, he had a lot of stuff. It's not that Paul had any less stuff. It's that his encounter with Jesus so transformed him that it caused him to reorder his stuff. Jesus, number one. Number two, rubbish. We've got it wrong. We've allowed secular values to, to creep into our lives and say, we have to have, to have a long list of priorities. Paul only had two priorities. He had an encounter so powerful with the resurrected Christ. He only had two. One Jesus, two rubbish. This rich young ruler, though, had lots of stuff. So he went away grieving. He counted the cost. And that's a problem. People today just want to count And the churches that are most popular are encouraging people, know Jesus and he'll enable you to count more stuff. But the Apostle Paul counted all things as loss compared to the surpassing, glorious worth of knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection that absolutely transformed this man we call the Apostle Paul. And so, um, I've got to be honest with you. I am still trying to figure this out. Because most of us, I think if we're fair, are somewhere in this continuum, right? We're, We're still trying to figure out, because this can be intensely personal. I'm trying to figure out what what that means because most people coming to Jesus today, they don't want to be a new creation because that's that's like a noun. They just want to attach an adjective to who they already are. They, They want to attach a descriptive word to who they already are. My, my father was a, a timber man. He was a lumberjack until he met Jesus and then he became a Christian lumberjack. And, and movie stars met Jesus. They want to become a Christian movie star. Maybe you want to be a Christian accountant. right? 
several years ago, as you, you know, Sherry and I were living in Texas, and you know, Texans like their meat. And so I had to gain a lot of weight just to fit in. That's what, that's what missionaries do. I don't know why you're laughing. It's called incarnational ministry. <laughs> Carne is meat, right? I was wrapping myself in meat. And, and so I began to, you know, look healthy, <laughs> look Texan. And, and one day, now I know some of you don't like it when I mention Sherry, so I, I won't mention her name, but one day I, I overheard a wife saying to my boys, if your father keeps gaining weight, I don't know what I will do. And, and it kind of scared me because I, you know, I was starting to think, I, I'm just five pounds away from being lonely. <laughs> so I, I realized I, I've... You know, I've got to make some changes in my life. So I did. I, I went out and got a shirt with vertical stripes. <laughs> vertical stripes are good for you. And I got a jacket that's a little bit too big for me and wore it over the vertical stripes. And, and you know what that wife said? She said, darling, you look good in that shirt. But that's right. When I look good in vertical stripes... No need to make any other significant changes. <laughs> Here's the thing. We, we cannot put on Jesus like we put on vertical stripes. He will have us all or nothing. And, and that's the big challenge for us. You know, if we gain Christ, we need to put everything in a priority that is category rubbish. Just throw it on a burning heap of rubbish. The sons of Sceva, they wanted to add Jesus. They wanted to be not just Jewish exorcists. They wanted to be famous Jewish exorcists. Everybody in Ephesus was talking about the Apostle Paul. God was doing extraordinary miracles through the Apostle Paul. They wanted to be famous just like that, right? And they did what we do. Now, now let me say to you, you, I've already told you you're amazing. But do you understand that Baptist polity is not going to transform you? Do you understand that good doctrine is not going to make you a new creation? You could even get in this grave and get completely wet and you will not be transformed until that encounter with Jesus Christ is so powerful it pushes everything else in your life on the pile of rubbish that the Apostle Paul left burning with no regrets. But, but here's the second thing. Not only did Paul know Jesus, but more importantly, Jesus knew Paul. I remember when Jesus met Paul on that road to Damascus, he knew Paul then. You say, Pastor, how do you know that? I know that because he called Paul by his name. He knew the mother who gave him that name, and he called out to him by name, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He was persecuting the church. When you say rubbish about the church, you're persecuting the Lord. 
He knew Paul. And, and this is really important. You may call yourself that name, Christian. But just because I know Jesus' name, it does not mean Jesus knows me. I used to work in a timber mill, in my dad's timber mill. You know, a timber mill in Vancouver is like an AOG church. Everybody's shouting Jesus. But they're not worshiping him. They know his name. They call it out every day, multiple times. But they don't know him. He doesn't know them. They're not transformed. Do you know that Caracas, Venezuela, 88% of the residents of Caracas, Venezuela, identify themselves as Christians. And Caracas is the murder capital of the world. Adolf Hitler identified as a Christian. I can call out his name. I can add Christian hyphen to who I am. But if I've not been transformed by his knowledge of me, I am bearing his name in vain. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23, Jesus says, Not everyone who calls me Lord will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Well, people will say, Hey, Lord! Isn't that crazy? Right after he says, you can call me Lord, Lord, not everyone. They, they said, Lord, did, did we not do great things in your name? Did we not prophesy? Did we not do good things? We, we cast out evil in your name. Didn't we do many great things in your name? And I will say to them, depart from me. I, what? Never knew you. Jesus knows us by the way we respond to his word. In John 14, verse 7, he says this, If you love me, you will do what? Go to church? Study theology? If you love me, no, listen, you will do what I say. And then in John chapter 10, verse 27, he introduces us to three interdependent verbs. Listen, know, follow. He says this, my sheep, listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Jesus knew Paul by name. He called it out. Paul listened and he followed him out of the temple, out of the synagogue, into the world, into prison, into the marketplace. He followed. And so Acts 19 verse 11 says, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. I don't believe in any miracle workers. There is one who works miracles. He is the Lord God. The question we need to ask is, are we hearing him? Are we listening? 
I don't doubt that if you're here today, he has specifically arranged time and space and has called you each by name. But are we listening and do we follow? That's the question that haunted me for years as I ran from his voice. There's a third result. As a result of Paul knowing Jesus and Jesus knowing Paul, the spirit world knew him. The demons knew Paul. Now, friends, the Bible says there's, there's a lot of things the evil one would like to do to you. Uh, he would like to trick you. He would love to accuse you. Most of all, he would love to agree with you. But one thing he does not want, he does not want to know you. Because if the spirits know us, we have got off of our knees and followed Jesus into the world. I think it's really important that we understand that spiritual warfare is not a prayer closet. It's far beyond the prayer closet. It's what took Jesus to identify 70 disciples in Luke 10. Remember this? He sent them out in twos. And those disciples came back amazed. They, they said, Lord, even the demons obey us in your name. And then in verse 18, remember Jesus' response? I saw Satan falling from heaven like lightning. Oh, it's awesome. I, I pray that you will all Pray, oh Lord, bind the strong man, but don't bother praying that prayer if you don't intend to plunder his house. The Apostle Paul was known by the spirits because he broke into the kingdom of the evil one and carted consistently off his treasure into the kingdom of light and life. And so he was known, but these seven sons of Skiva, the high priest, they were exorcists who were constantly learning new incantations. They weren't known by Jesus. They didn't know Jesus, but they were just looking for another incantation that would make them famous. I can't remember if I put this on the screen. Verse 13, then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists Exorcist, sorry, undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Now, how many of you use that word, adjure? I don't. It's difficult for me to even say it. And the, and the reason we don't use this word often is the translators were in an awkward place. How do we translate this Greek word? Because the Greek word is horkus. It's actually the Greek word from which we get our term hocus pocus. What they were literally doing is they were saying, in the name of the Jesus that Paul proclaims, hocus pocus. It, it, it was their new incantation. But they, they didn't get the response they were hoping for. Because they had the name on their lips. 
but they didn't have the power in their lives. They had never come to the place where they had reordered their priorities and said, I consider all things as loss for the surpassing glory of knowing Jesus and the power of the resurrection. Have you ever had that time in your life where you specifically said, Lord, everything else, I'm pushing it down to the category of rubbish for the surpassing glory of knowing you and the power of your resurrection. Do you know something? Every time the church rises up in the power of the Lord, Satan falls down. As he would later write to the church in Ephesus that grew out of this experience, there is an armor that we clothe ourselves the armor of the Lord. Have you noticed there's nothing for your back? You don't need to worry about defense. You check me in Scripture. Every time the demonic world had an encounter with Jesus, they only had a few responses. One was they fell down and worshipped him. One was they begged for mercy. And the other was they ran. But here's what's extraordinary. After these men, trying to be famous, took a beating... They left, not just wounded, the worst part for guys, naked, absolutely humiliated. Something else happened. The community knew of the power of the gospel. This is important. Notice the difference between what is happening in our world today. Because in our world today, we have pastors who are more famous than their churches and churches that are more famous than Jesus. But, but when Paul ministered in the power of the Holy Spirit, it was not Paul who became famous. It was the gospel that became famous. This is what Scripture says in verse 17. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus. Not Paul's name. But this power encounter of Jesus over the spirit world became known. To all the residents in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon all of them. And the name of who? Jesus was extolled. Glory to the name of Jesus. Set priorities in this church. There is Jesus, and then everything else is rubbish. The, the things we get anxious about, when water comes in and floods the foyer, that's rubbish. If there's some imperfection in a classroom, that's rubbish. There, there is Jesus. And then everything else. That day, Ephesus was turned upside down because one man responded. And, and more than that, not only did the city get turned upside down, but those who were in the city who already believed became revived in their faith. How long has it been since you've had such 
a dynamic encounter with Christ, that you could call that revival, life flowing up afresh in you. You know why it doesn't happen? Because you see, even in its very earliest days, even in its infancy, at the very beginning, the pollution of the world was beginning to creep back into the church. And we see in these verses 18 and 19, there were many of those now believers. But they came confessing divulging that they had the same practices as the seven sons of Sceva. They had books and magic manuscripts that taught them incantations just in case they prayed in Jesus' name, but Jesus didn't want to do it. Just cover some bases with a little bit of other stuff. But when they saw what happened, when priorities were in the right order, they came confessing. You see, when, when I confess, I turn afresh to Jesus. I, I reprioritize. You know what? You do with rubbish, you take it out. I, 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 don't, I don't know how it happens, but every we, Sherry and I, unintentionally, we create rubbish. And we're, we're getting ready to fly out immediately after the service because I have to speak tonight in, in Kuching. The last thing she said to me before we left, did you know what it is? Sweetie, can you take out the rubbish? How, how would our lives be different? If every single day before we left our home, we said, Lord Jesus, come to me afresh and take out the rubbish. I didn't put it here on purpose. I'm not trying to be a rubbish collector. Just picked it up somehow, walking around in the street, just clung to me. Would you not just, in your spirit, consume it? Then, then you would find the power of the resurrection. Joy that you hadn't experienced in a long time. Then you would find, no matter what is going on at work, no matter the anxiety you may experience in exams coming up, Everything else compared to the surpassing value of knowing Jesus and the power of his resurrection, everything else is on that pile. I want to invite you to bow with me for just a moment. I wonder, um, perhaps, possibly, you were here and you recognized yourself in this text and the person you saw was not Paul. Maybe you're like me. You thought, whoa, I'm no different than the son of Sceva. I'm throwing around the name hoping it will create some power 
I'm not ashamed of the name, but I've never been changed by the name. If you're here today and you cannot say, I truly know him, and the power of his resurrection, I've never given him the sacrifice of my obedience. Then I want to invite you just right where you are. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but right where you are, we say, Lord Jesus, I'm turning to you. You notice his name is important. The sons of Sceva called him the name of Jesus, the guy who Paul preaches. But his name is Lord Jesus. When you say Lord Jesus, that's someone you listen to and someone you follow. Would you turn to that man, the king of creation, and say, I come to you. I offer you the sacrifice of my obedience because there is none more worthy, no one greater, no one more worthy of my obedience than the one who loved and died for me so that I may be clean of everything that grieves the Most High. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've said in the past, this is a place for new beginnings. Or maybe you're like me. I always say stuff. I mean it at the time. Maybe like me, there was a time when you said, yeah, Lord Jesus, I'm, I'm going to follow you. And you followed him until you didn't. If you're like me, then you need to take the rubbish out every day. Every day. Let me encourage you this day. Say, oh Lord God, by your spirit, consume the rubbish in me. Rise up and make me holy again as you are holy. Not by my own righteousness, but lend me the righteousness Jesus purchased on the cross today. And expect to hear from me tomorrow and the day after. Until all of Singapore knows your name Expect to hear this from me. Lord Jesus, I come to you anew. Father God, we love you. Because we love you, we come confessing that often, unintentionally, we have created rubbish. And suddenly we realize that the biggest problem in our world is actually me. So, Father, come to us again in mercy. Consume the rubbish we have collected. 
Help us to know you in the power of the resurrection. Help us to recategorize all the priorities in our life so that we have just one. Strengthen, O oh God, the intention of our hearts. May you be glorified on this day and every day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.